0: go to our title slide. We'll start with that today. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? I know, a nod to Mr. Rogers. Everyone grew up with Mr. Rogers. Well, you should have. Um, But yeah, our, uh, our text this morning in Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. And you know, it's a familiar story. I think most of us know it pretty well probably read it, heard it, you know, before, whatever. It's about being nice, about doing the right thing. Uh, I, but, you know, I'm wondering if maybe we can get a fresh look at it today and if there might not be something else there, something a little deeper. Uh, and just to, to kind of uh, put a context on that, I, I want to start with this and just say Jesus is really smart, you know, and, and we don't think of that a lot. We think of Jesus as loving, kind, compassionate, maybe think of powerful. Uh, there's a lot of things we, we think about in kind of how, you know, how we define and describe who Jesus is. But very rarely do we think he was just really, really smart. And, and I think this passage is one of several that really sort of illustrates that to us. This is yet another occasion where uh, an expert in the law, religious leader of the day, comes to Jesus with the intent of kind of trying to trip him up, to catch him off guard, to, to really throw him off of his game. Uh, but he is, of course, unable to do that. And, and Jesus really uh, gives him a response that is uh, both, I think, profound as well as somewhat confrontational. So I want to go ahead and, and let's uh, read the text Together, We'll start with the few verses that we looked at last week that sort of set this up, and then we'll go into the parable, then we'll pray and we'll get into it. So go ahead. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Lord, uh, we lift this uh, familiar passage of scripture up to you this morning and ask that you would Uh, Enlighten the eyes of our hearts today and maybe allow us to see some truth, some depth, some purpose there that's uh, maybe new to us or fresh to us or just enlighten it to us today and help us to uh, have some conviction in our own heart about how we uh, care for those who may be our neighbors. Amen. So the uh, opening question is about how to inherit eternal life. We talked about that last week. And Jesus and this lawyer are in agreement. Love God, love your neighbor. Easy peasy. Simple as that. And you'll inherit eternal life. But verse 29 says, the man wanted to justify himself. And so he he presses the issue with Jesus and asks this follow-up question, who's my neighbor? Uh, and in response, Jesus tells a story. And this to me is The brilliance of Jesus. Uh, This guy is, uh, they call him a lawyer, he's an expert in the law, but he's really trained in uh, debate. He's trained in discussing theology, discussing uh, the meaning of scripture, and frankly, I mean, I, I don't have, I have very little doubt that Jesus could have won a debate with him, But he doesn't enter into the game. He's not going to play the game. He's not going to go down that road. Instead of engaging in that conversation, he tells this story. And the story is so powerful, it's really irrefutable. There's nothing the guy can do to come back at him after uh, Jesus gives the story. And the story he tells is, you know, the guy's on the road. um, Probably a bad part of town. I've read a couple commentaries that say that road uh uh you know from Jerusalem to Jericho was uh, robbers were common there and, you know it might have been not the best idea to walk alone but he was doing it and uh so he gets mugged and two religious people pass by a priest and a levite both of who you would think would be people that might be compassionate and stop. They both see him, and that's—it's clear in the story. They could pretend they didn't, but Jesus makes sure we understand they—they they actually did see him, but they didn't do anything. Years ago, I was uh, at a conference, and a gal named Jackie Pullinger was sharing. I talked to you about her before. She works uh, in the a place called the Walled City in Hong Kong. It's a lawless area. It's a high-rise. That's uh, the police won't even go in there. It's inhabited primarily by uh, drug addicts and sex workers. And um, Jackie ministers to those people. She's been doing it for 50 years. And uh, when I first heard her speak several years ago, uh, she made this statement. She said, If you see them, you have responsibility. Meaning you see someone in need. If you see them, you have responsibility. And I remember thinking, man, that's rough. Uh, But as time has gone on, and I, I read this story, and I consider the reality of that, I realize she was actually right. If we see someone and we don't respond, we're essentially in the same category as these men in the story who saw this guy and passed by... And, and left him unto his own. Now, I don't say that to heap condemnation on anyone. I'm just saying that it's just the reality of the Scripture. And maybe encourage each of us in our own hearts to pray, what does that mean for me? Uh, how, how do I incorporate that into my life? I think sometimes, I mean, if if we can be honest, and let's, let's just go there today. We can all fall into the same sort of... Uh, dynamic that these guys have by pretending not to notice. We see a homeless person, we see whatever situation happening, and we just pretend it's not there. And there's all kinds of reasons that we might justify that. We, we might say, and in this guy's case, for example, you know, maybe this is a trap, Maybe that guy's a decoy, and his buddies are hiding in the bushes, and when I stop to help him, they're going to jump me. I mean, that's a, that's a reality that c- could be there. Uh, maybe the priest and the Levite were on their way to the temple and to service, and they were going to perform uh, their priestly and Levitely duties, and they couldn't be late. There were people counting on them. They had important things to do that day, and they didn't have it in their schedule to stop. Maybe uh, this guy was really actually the bad guy and he got what he deserved. We don't know anything about that situation, uh, but they passed by nonetheless. And we've talked about this before. Uh, Jesus, and this, his frequent reference to Samaritans really, really was uh, a stroke of genius. It was brilliant. But it was also highly confrontational. Uh, see, we don't get it, to be honest, because a Samaritan today in our culture is completely 100% totally synonymous with somebody that helps. That's what a Samaritan is. We have a hospital in Portland called Good Samaritan. And when we think of a Samaritan, we think of that that's the dynamic. It's somebody who stops to help. But that was not the dynamic at all. It was the exact opposite of that. In Jesus' day, a Samaritan was a person who was not very well liked. In the Jewish community, they were seen as uh, an outsider. They were a foreigner, uh, and they, they were really not liked at all. And, and Jesus here, as he does in other places, makes him the hero of the story. The victim is unidentified. And again, I think this is intentional on Jesus' part. We could assume he was likely Jewish. We don't know that. But you would also would assume that if the situation were reversed and it were a Samaritan laying in the ditch and a Jewish person walked by, that this dynamic probably wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have stopped. Jesus knows that, and the guy he's talking to knows that. But the Samaritan does stop. He bandages the guy up. Probably, I don't think he had a first aid kit on him. He probably tore his own clothing up and used it to bandage the guy and put oil and wine, took care of him. Uh, And then he he goes to get further help. He puts him on his donkey, walks alongside, takes him to an inn. An inn was really just a big house with extra rooms and people would rent rooms out. Uh, The going rate for a a room would be, a denarii was about a day's wage, what you'd make in a day. I don't know what that would be today hundred bucks, hundred and a quarter, I guess it depends on your job. Uh, but the going rate right for the room would be about one twelfth of that. So when he gives him two denarii, he's given him enough to take care of the guy for several weeks. Uh, he's, he's covering all of his expenses and more. And then at the end, Jesus asks this question. He tells the story and then he says, who was a neighbor? The lawyer couldn't bring himself to even say the word the Samaritan was, so instead he says, Well, the, the one who had mercy on it. So, again, profound and, and, and really highly confrontational. The guy asked the question, Who's my neighbor? Jesus answered a different question, Who was a neighbor? This uh, gentleman would not have been the only one to ask that question. It would have been a common question in sort of uh, theological circles of ancient Jerusalem. The phrase love your neighbor comes from the Old Testament and in the Old Testament, the passage it comes from, it's a little unclear as to who your neighbor is. It sounds like it probably means other Jewish people. So that would be who my neighbor is. I'm, I'm really responsible to take care of of my countrymen, of those like me. Um, But some people would tighten that circle a little bit in their debates and they would say well it, it really a neighbor should should probably be only those that are that are really adhering to the law and, and following scripture and living their life accordingly uh, you know that that it would really just be that group not just anybody else and then someone else might say well what if a gentile converts to Judaism and they're now following the torah so would that gentile now be included in this group that are neighbors and somebody might say well i think maybe that that would include them as well and then somebody would else else would say well you know i have a guy that lives down the street from me he's a Gentile and he's not following the law but he's a, he's a really good person he's a nice guy I don't know maybe it, it should include him and the debate would kind of go on as to who is my neighbor instead of thinking about being a neighbor they would just argue over uh, you know who they were responsible to care for Jesus in his response here makes it clear you guys are asking the wrong question it's not about who your neighbor is the question we should be asking is, what does it mean to you to be a neighbor? He tells this story and then he concludes with the statement, go and do likewise. That's what you're called to do. He turns a self-justifying, theoretical, theological question into a personal response. It's, It's confrontational because he makes it pretty clear that we don't get to choose who our neighbor is. Jesus says things like that fairly often. You know, he says, turn the other cheek. Someone wants your coat, give them your shirt as well. Love your enemy. Well, who's my enemy? (laughs) That question comes up. Is it the bully at school? Is it that wingnut at work? Is it personal enemies only, or is it corporate enemies? Is it, you know, is it corporate greed, or or political enemies? It's it's certainly not national enemies. He doesn't mean like love North Korea, love Afghanistan. He can't mean that. Who who is he referring to when he says love my enemy? We saw last week Jesus shows us what love looked like. If you want to go to the next slide. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Paul says this in Romans, go one more. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him. We were still enemies of God when through his death, Jesus reconciled us. I said last week, it's unilateral. It's not based on our goodness or even our response. He does it out of his love for us. It's not theoretical at all. The question we should be asking is, who is my neighbor, or not who is my neighbor, but how do I be a neighbor to those people that God puts in front of me? Am I living in love, as Ephesians says, we're supposed to live? Um, It's it's very concrete. John Wimber used to say it has shoe leather. By that he meant you walk it out, you you live it out. The reality is if I'm breathing air, then I'm called to... Be a neighbor to whosoever might be in front of me at the moment. That's who my neighbor is. The kingdom of God is, at that level, actually pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. There are volumes and volumes written on theology, and there's lots of debate. And in various circles today, uh, there's a lot of debate on theology. And there are certain topics that are hot topics at the moment, and there's some theological debates. And frankly, I kind of like all that. I like theology. I like reading about it. I like talking about it. I think it's kind of fun. But at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter what I think about it or how much I talk about it or how much I know or how many books I read. The only thing that matters is that I find a place in my own life to live that out and walk it out. The priest and the Levite in this story represent spiritual people who we would think in our minds would be the ones who would respond to a person in need. That's that's the point of the story. The Samaritan represents kind of a disliked, despised, looked down upon person, and the shocking part of the whole thing is that Jesus says he's the one who actually helped out. If we updated the story today, what would it be like? What would this story be in our culture? Guys hitchhiking... And some people mug him and beat him up. He doesn't have much on him, but they take what he has and they beat him up and leave him half naked and bloody and maybe dead, I don't know, on the side of the freeway. And somebody, Billy Graham, or the ghost of Billy Graham, comes by. And I love Billy Graham, by the way, but I'm just trying to think of, you know, the most known religious person that you could think of, and he pretends not to see the guy and passes by and doesn't do anything. And then a little while later, Mother Teresa wanders by. She's a nice soul, but she's busy today. There's a lot of hungry people out there, and so she passes by. And then a trans person walks by, last person anyone might expect to help looks at the person and says, I, I can't just leave this person here. And they stop and help him and take care of them. As weird as that sounds to us, that's exactly how Jesus' story would have sounded to his audience. They would have been shocked at the fact that a priest and a Levite who serve in the temple, who are religious people, would have not helped this person and that this Samaritan did. The lawyer, he has a checklist in his mind as to how people are evaluated, who's good, who's bad, who's in, who's out, who's important, who's insignificant, who's righteous, who's not righteous. It's kind of his own little micro version of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. I decide who's good and who's bad. And, um, he passes judgment on people based on that. And when we do that, what happens is it blocks our ability to see really the beauty of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God uh, is so dynamic and alive every day. And In Jesus' story, there are multiple layers of prejudice. Again, I think it was uh, profound how he chooses his characters. There would have been racial prejudice here. The Samaritan would have, was a, uh, a mixed-race person, who would have been looked down upon by Jews just for that. There was religious prejudice as well, because the Samaritan would also be considered a heretic. They did not worship at the temple. They, uh, they had different interpretations of some of the Old Testament scripture, and so they were considered heretics. There probably would have also been sort of a socioeconomic or a class prejudice there, whereas this person would have been seen as someone we might say is like trailer trash, Kind of a hick, kind of a backwoods person, a little below me. Very clearly, one of those people that's ruining the neighborhood. But Jesus makes uh, the priest and the Levite the bad guys in the story, and he turns the entire system upside down when he does that. And and, and he really messes with the guy's head, to be honest, because he not only says. You have to love this person. He also says, you know what? You have to learn from this person. If, if, you, if, if you, you really want to understand what it means to walk in my kingdom, you have to take the example of that Samaritan and begin to do what he has done. So my question, I guess, is do we not do the same thing? Do we have our own running list of who's in and who's out, who the winners and losers are, Uh, who the important people are and who the insignificant people are. If we do, and and you can answer for yourself, but if we do, chances are it's wrong. Our calling is to go out of our way to care for those that are off the grid, that are off our chart. Um, It might be religious and we might have certain qualifications, you know, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm certainly better off than those people, and you can fill in the blank, whoever those people might be. Um, it's, it's really about entering into a kingdom that doesn't differentiate and doesn't elevate or deprecate anyone based on uh, who they are. It's about seeing every person the way Jesus sees them as somebody who it was worth him dying for. At times we might have racial prejudice. And sometimes I think that's subconscious in our own minds. We, we don't often identify it as such. We would never think, well, I, I have racist tendencies in my own heart. But sometimes it might come out when we see stories about things that happen and, and uh, we, you know, we, we look at those people they're ruining our country. They're taking jobs away from people that need them. They're destroying the economy. I was told. And part of it, you have to understand that when when I, when I moved here to plant this church, I didn't necessarily, it wasn't something I was looking to do. I wasn't looking forward to that or a plan. It was really the Lord. And it was very, very clearly probably... Maybe the clearest thing in my entire life, God's ever spoken to me to move from California to Oregon and plant this church. And I was told by somebody in the church that all the Californians moving to Oregon are ruining our state. Thank you very much. I thought it was a free country. If we have in our mind the idea that there are those people out there, whoever they may be. We're really not walking in love. And I just humbly, gently present that as uh, it's just, a, you know, a point of prayer. And I'm not putting that on anybody, I just... I think sometimes those things are subconscious until we take them out of the personal and put them in the, the bigger picture and we come up with that idea of those people. I'll close with this if you guys want to come back up. Here's the thing about this story, and I, want to, I, I think this is, to me, the most important part. There's an upside. The upside is this. The upside is that if, if we can push out of our so, sort of, Monochromatic, homogenous sort of mindset, and and we can begin to engage people who really are different than us culturally, different perspectives, diff- different ways of thinking, different backgrounds. Um, it will enrich our own lives. I can honestly say that that has been my experience as I've had opportunity to minister, especially with Vineyard Missions, uh, you know, predominantly in Latin America, but I've had opportunity at different times to travel to different parts of the world and engage with people in different communities that have very, very different lifestyles and different ways of thinking. And it has done nothing but enrich my own experience and give me a deeper, uh, not only understanding, but, but love for the kingdom of God. And I would encourage that to you, that, that when you have opportunities to engage with people, sometimes I'll see somebody in a coffee shop that is clearly different than me. And I, I will sometimes, if you go out of my way, to just strike up a conversation. How's it going today? There's a couple guys that work at a mini-mart by my house, and I see them once in a while, and I just, they're not, where are you guys from, anyway? Oh, we're from India. Aunt Willie, tell me about how did you get here? What, what's going on? Well, welcome. Glad you're here. This is so cool. I just, I just want to hear a little bit of their story. I also wanted to go out of my way to say welcome because I'm wondering, is anybody saying welcome to them? So it, re- it enriches your life and experience and deepens your, your passion for the kingdom to do that. The kingdom of God is diverse. The kingdom of God is multicultural. The kingdom of God is beautiful in that way. And I would encourage all of us to give that consideration and to think about how we might prayerfully enter into relationship with people that are outside of our normal sphere of influence. Why don't we stand? We're going to close with some worship, and uh, then we'll have ministry time. And I'll just, if the prayer team would go to the sides now as we sing this last song, uh, there was two words earlier about hope and shame. And I would encourage you, if either of those resonates with you personally, to go get prayer today. But also, uh, a couple other things in my mind this morning. One is, I have a little bit of a cold, and I know a lot of people are not feeling well. If you're just off your game physically a little bit, I would encourage you to get prayer today. And as always, if there's anything at all else that you would like prayer this morning for, please find your way over to somebody to pray with you. Thanks again for listening.